0: Welcome to Brandon Speaks. If you are looking for a fascinating podcast related to optimal health, rehabilitation, and human performance based on how the body actually works, that is authentic and at times a tad animated, you have come to the right place. Go grab a notebook, a pen, and some organic popcorn and get ready for a journey with your host as he discusses health related topics and perhaps life in general based on research and his own practical clinical experience. The contents of this podcast are for entertainment and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast should be considered medical advice. Please consult a licensed healthcare or functional medicine provider before embarking on any health, fitness, or dietary change. And now, here is your host, Brandon J. Elliman, owner and operator of Innate Movement and Wellness. Let's listen in and learn as Brandon speaks.
1: what's up everyone welcome uh it's quite early in the morning today whatever today is um and this is going to be episode i believe nine of brandon speaks it is actually prior to 7 a.m which is a little bit earlier than i normally get cranked up for doing something like this but uh got a full day with patients and clients and it's a brisk five zero degrees outside here in uh, southern louisiana looks to be uh, a pretty beautiful day uh, coming up so if i seem like i may be a little bit slower than normal or a tad bit off my game it's probably because the morning espresso just hadn't kicked in yet Uh, so bear with me Uh, but i want to use episode nine to talk a little bit about a concept that i think is is kind of poorly understood Uh, Somewhat misrepresented and misused in the alternative uh, health, or just the health community in general. And it's a concept of holistic health. Uh, For a long time, I actually avoided uh, using the term holistic health, uh, because it's it's kind of a turn-off for a lot of people, to be honest with you. Because whenever you say the word holistic, or use uh, the term holistic health, uh, to describe you know your your practice or your methods or how you like to look at the human body or whatever the case may be S- sometimes some pretty kooky uh... images get conjured up in the mind you know images of uh... you know people hugging trees uh, which is cool uh... but that's not what holistic health is about uh, or you know somebody standing around you shaking some bones and rattles and doing all these different kind of chants <clears throat> You know, that is also cool, but that's not really what holistic health is about. Um, You know, all these different things that that people think uh, when it comes to holistic health is not necessarily what holistic health really is. Okay, so what I'll do is I'll give you my perspective and my take, obviously, uh, on what Holistic health actually means for me, and kind of how I like to use it uh, in my own personal practice with uh, with my health coaching clients and my health consulting, the health consulting side of my practice. Uh, so for me, when I use the word holistic health or the term holistic health, or I say that, what I'm referring to is actually making an effort. To look at the person as an entire entity as a holistic organism right and the human being or the human body mind uh, is made up of physical mental emotional and spiritual elements and if you're going to take a holistic approach to at least some degree you're gonna have to look into pretty much every single area of of someone's life in order to help them heal from whatever it is happens to be ailing them at the time <clears throat> okay so you know as an example yes if if someone is suffering from chronic headaches okay there can be a myriad of physical reasons why they would be suffering from headaches i believe i did an entire episode on on headaches <laughs> But I left some of the stuff out. So there's a lot of physical reasons why someone can be suffering from headaches. I won't go into those, but there are many of them. There are certainly uh, chemical reasons as well. Nutritional, hormonal, etc. There can be a number of things that are bothering the person from a mental and emotional and or spiritual standpoint. That can very easily contribute to headaches. And in some cases you know it's pretty cut and dry somebody comes in they have chronic headaches you know obviously the most tangible place to start is with the physical body because that's somewhat what people are familiar with and you know whatever we may take a look at the cervical spine we may take a look at the pelvis you may take a look at the cranium the jaw the eyes the vestibular system you know the uh, things like that and problems may be found and problems may be solved in those areas and that may, you know, that may be exactly the notch on the belt that the person needs to get them over the hump. And they no longer have chronic headaches and they go about their life. And, you know, maybe I never see them again unless something crazy happens. Uh, but there are other cases that are not so cut and dry, right? And please remember, as I go through this, my, my entire practice is, is pretty much based on medical fallout. Right, so I don't see, I'm, I'm almost never anyone's first stop. Whenever whenever people come to see me, they've usually already seen everybody else in the area and possibly even in multiple areas and specialists all over the country and all this kind of stuff. And then they land in my office wondering, you know, what the hell it is I I do and how I can help. Um, So in in, in chronic health situations in particular, uh, for some of the physical stuff, it's not, you know, as I mentioned in one of my earlier episodes... Uh, I used to do all this stuff all all encompassing with, with every single patient or client that I had. I don't do that anymore because it significantly limits the number of people that you can actually work with uh, in my experience because not a lot of people initially are really open to nutrition and or lifestyle changes and it gets even squirrelier whenever you start talking to people about their... Uh, ideas and their beliefs and where those things come from and whether or not those things currently serve them uh, at at the time in their life and whether or not they're going against themselves in order to make other people happy blah 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 people don't want to talk about that kind of stuff and if they do they usually seek uh, you know psycho maybe psychotherapy or work with a licensed clinical social worker or psychologist or psychiatrist or or whatever um you know, so talking to a guy like me about stuff like that, it's not really, uh, all that commonplace. Uh, and if it is, you know, people are somewhat reluctant at first. Uh, but on the health side with my health consulting, these things oftentimes do have to get some attention, uh, because in, in many, many cases, particularly with, with the uh, when it comes to sort of just how your body and how physiology works, uh, you you can't really take the mind out of things right and I'm uh, to be to be perfectly honest with everyone who's listening i'm I'm a really good example of that. Um, uh, those of you who listen who know a little bit about me personally and and professionally, uh, some of you have probably seen me in a clinical setting. Uh, some of you may be friends of mine some of you may have absolutely no idea who i am Uh, but those of you who know me know i take pretty good care of myself definitely from a physical standpoint definitely from a chemical standpoint (laughs) Um, and i have my own spiritual uh, system that works really well for me Uh, mentally and emotionally kind of depends on the day (laughs) right and you know we're all Uh, human beings and we're all in flux at all times but uh, most of my stressors are not physical chemical in nature mine are usually mental Um, I have OCD type tendencies particularly from a mental standpoint I tend to overthink and overanalyze if I'm not very careful Um, and that's the bulk of, of my own personal stressors right and your emotional stressors if you want to talk about taking a holistic approach to health and looking at the entire human being, your emotional stressors are intimately tied to pretty much every part of your physiology, you know, particularly your immune system, right? Right now, people are running around uh, trying to figure out uh, what it is they can do or how can they uh, potentially boost uh, their immune system, right? Because everyone is afraid, uh, you know, that the plague is going to get them, and we're trying to protect ourselves as as best we can. Uh, so, you know, if you have a look at the things that people are searching for and what people are buying and things that people are trying to do to enhance their immune systems, it's it's an obvious observation that. Enhancing the immune system is at least at a surface level somewhat of a high priority for people right now, but you really can't do that without addressing uh, the emotional system as well. Um, so, uh, you know, t- I'll, I'll kind of make quick work of it. But basically, your the the brain and the the body systems that sort of handle your emotions or or process. In, uh, handle your emotional processing; uh, those systems are intimately connected to the hormonal system, to your nervous system, and to your immune system. Right. So, acute stress, uh, assuming it's not there for all that long, is not that big of a deal. Uh, stress is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Um, I, I had a, an earlier episode where I discussed stress and the concept of stress and stressors and the major classes of stressors physical, chemical, electromagnetic, psychic, nutritional and thermal all that good kind of stuff and stress is a good thing Uh, it's something that creates an ability uh, or an environment in which we can adapt and overcome it creates a tremendous opportunity for growth and expansion so on and so forth Um, and an acute stress is not that big of a deal you know, you get a, a little bit of a signal to the to maybe the hypothalamus, uh, and then that signals the adrenal glands and you get you know, a little bit of a, a cortisol output and response and so on and so forth, and the body handles things and then it's over and done with. But when stressors are chronic, which tends to be the case in, in such uh, in, in in cases of emotional stressors, you know, particularly now. Uh, with everything that we have going on in the world today, uh, there can be constant stimulation of something that's called the HPA axis. that's your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which is basically the hypothalamus triggering the pituitary, you know you're releasing adrenal corticotropic hormone, which you know, then you're signaling the adrenal glands to release cortisol, so on and so forth. Cortisol is one of your body's chief stress hormones. And that can, over time, if that's chronic, Right. That can lead to the destruction of tissues. That can lead to uh, issues uh, potentially with your thyroid, which is very, very common. Uh, it's usually not like a primary issue with the thyroid gland, but it's a secondary or a tertiary issue of some kind, an issue with conversion of, conversion of thyroid hormones, because chronically elevated levels of cortisol prevent uh, T4 from being converted into T3 from a physiological standpoint you can get disturbances in the gut you can get obviously you know fat accumulation or you know adding weight in areas that people typically don't want to add weight uh, and all that kind of stuff and one of the things that results from chronic cortisol elevation the longer cortisol is elevated over the course of time you begin to lose uh, it begins to lose its anti-inflammatory effects but what tends to remain is the immunosuppressive effects of cortisol over an extended period of time. So the longer your cortisol is elevated, uh, the more suppressed your immune system becomes. Uh, so the, the the biology of our systems can't really be separated from social uh, and and you know whatever uh, psychological or psychosocial aspects of of our of our existence. Uh, Dr. Gabber Mate. Is a guy who has. A lot of really good work. On this type of stuff. I believe the uh, a, a good chunk of his work. Is centered around. Uh, <clears throat> sort of the physiology. The mental and emotional responses. So on and so forth. Uh, surrounding addiction. Uh, and the guy is absolutely brilliant. I love. Uh, pretty much. Pretty much everything that he's. Uh, put out uh, I'm I'm a real big fan of it. He uh he's got several well more than several. Uh, he's got many books, you know, he's got articles. I believe his his website is uh where you could just google Dr. uh Gaber Mate. G A B O R is his first name. Mate is his last name. M A T E. Absolutely brilliant man. <laughs> and he's got a model that kind of teaches us that who you are and where you are right now and this 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 to me is a big essence uh, or the essence of holistic health or a holistic view of the human organism Uh, it's, it's a model that says that who and what you are right now either in your health state or in a state of disease or whatever it is you may be dealing with is basically a cumulative expression of every stressor that you've ever dealt with, every trauma that you've ever experienced, every positive or negative experience and emotion that you've experienced, every single thing that you have thought, Said, done, and experienced basically crystallizes into your physical form and your physiology from conception to this present moment. So you have to look at all of those things, particularly in cases that are very, very chronic and particularly in cases that tend to be what i would call a little bit stubborn in other words that not really responding to a lot of the conventional means of doing things right and the emotional stuff is a big big deal so i'll always tell people you know because of everything that i just mentioned if you need to go talk to someone go talk to someone you know there's tons of people that that do that kind of stuff there's you know really good life coaches out there some of them not so much uh, but there's really good life coaches there's really good licensed uh, clinical social workers uh, there's uh, you can you know find a a, a union psychologist somewhere in your area you know I've seen people have pretty uh, dramatic uh, changes uh, using hypnotherapy all sorts of stuff that that can be done uh, but you, you you absolutely cannot underestimate the limbic emotional or the mental and emotional component uh, to to your physiology because it it's completely n- you you can't separate that kind of stuff. So anytime you experience a given emotion, whether it's sadness or happiness or anger, fear, frustration, anxiety, worry, whatever the case may be. The, the, the hypothalamus in your brain actually produces n- neuropeptides that are specific for that particular emotion. Okay, and what happens is those neuropeptides run around through the body, attaching to cells and creating biochemical uh, changes within the cell that are specific for that particular emotion. And the more you experience that given emotion, the more neuropeptides the hypothalamus tends to pump out in response to experiencing that emotion. And the more neuropeptides the hypothalamus pumps out, the more of those things you have floating around in the bloodstream, going and attaching on cells and creating the biochemical responses in the cell specific to that particular emotion, be it depression or whatever. Now the key point there or a key aspect of that concept is that whenever the the cells of the body begin to divide and, and create daughter or sister cells, the more that cell has been bombarded with the neuropeptides for a particular emotion, when the daughter or sister cell is formed, there's going to be more receptor sites on the cell membrane for the new cell for that particular emotion. Basically, it heightens your sensitivity to it, right? And you can easily become... For lack of a better term, somewhat addicted to your emotional state, right? And then, whenever cells are you know creating or uh, dividing and 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 replacing themselves and doing these kinds of things, and you get daughter cells and sister cells and all this kind of stuff, and you have more uh, receptor sites for a particular neuropeptides specific for a given emotion, you have less receptor sites for things like vitamins and minerals and things that you actually need in order to have uh you know a, a healthy healthy cells and a healthy you know body mind <laughs> so it's it's very it's kind of a touchy subject for a lot of people rightfully so um you know not a lot of people want to talk about the things that really bother them and when you start getting into that kind of work uh it's what uh, Robert Augustus Masters calls Uh, shadow work Uh, it can get pretty nutty Um, but those kinds of things can really drive uh, physiological responses hormonal responses so on and so forth and it can crank up the stress response all right so Hans uh, Hans Celier, who was a famous medical doctor who may you know maybe one of the greatest medical pioneers uh, you know possibly ever He's written a number of books. Uh, one of my favorites is called *The Stress of Life*. Uh, but he he talks about how a lot of the a lot of the stressors that we're exposed to uh, are actually emotional. And just like uh, one of the things that he was able to demonstrate within his within his work is that you know laboratory animals that are kind of unable to escape a, a particular environment. Uh, if I remember right, I think they, I, I, I believe they use mice. You know, but they put them in like kind of, kind of sounds cruel when you think about it. But you know, a uh, sort of like a bucket of water with no rough edges or anything on the on the on the outside of the container, and there's literally no way for the mouse to get out. And it creates uh, uh, an aspect of uh, an emotional response within the animal which is called learned helplessness and over the course of time after trying to get out every which way possible eventually the the, the, the mice would just give up and drown and die right so not a lot of us are trapped in uh, physical uh, containers that we can't get out of but a lot of people find themselves trapped in a lifestyle or trapped in an emotional pattern that's really really detrimental to their health and it creates tons and tons and tons and tons of problems Right, so stress itself is is present, uh, you know, now, uh, and serves the same purpose as it always has, which is to, like I said earlier, afford us the ability to adapt and overcome and grow and essentially survive. You know, it's not really, uh, you know, it's not really a situation where it's survival of the fittest it's really survival of the most adaptable or who can be a survival of the most adaptive All right so that's what that's the purpose uh of stress um but i think what's happened for a lot of uh, for a lot of people is we've kind of lost touch with uh sort of the the warning systems that we have and the red flags that go up and our you know our gut feelings about things are kind of suppressed and We're really not able to really sense what's happening in our bodies. So therefore, we're not able to act in ways that are in our best interest long term. So. You know, one of the things that I do. With. My health consulting clients is I put them through a series of questionnaires. Uh, In addition to, you know, the rock solid stuff like, you know, blood work and blood labs and all that kind of stuff and looking at those things from a functional physiology perspective or a functional medicine perspective or whatever the case may be, uh, I, I put people through a pretty extensive array of questionnaires. And the the idea there is to get an overall sense of someone's overall physiological load. right? And there's 28 different organ and glandular systems that are uh, sort of assessed from a functional perspective within those questionnaires and i have another uh, within those questionnaires which you know my full paperwork uh, for for a really really challenged case like that might be as much as 64 pages which oftentimes the individual is so sick they can't fill that out so i got to chop it down to you know what what's going to give me the most the most information and the most bang for my buck but also not stress the person out even more trying to fill it out because you sit there trying to fill out 64 pages of paperwork and you just can't you know it's fairly difficult to do particularly if you try to do that all at one time Uh, so one of my condense I call it a condenser one of my condenser uh, questionnaires is just a list of like my top 30 or 35 potential stressor sources right Things that people are going like, to, you know, have been exposed to or have or are dealing with now in the past, so on and so forth. <clears throat> and I just have them literally check off anything that, that they've experienced uh, to any significant degree and even even potentially an insignificant degree within that questionnaire. Right. So the first part of it is mostly the emotional stuff right anger fear worry anxiety depression and guilt you know if you're experiencing those things chronically let me know you know on the questionnaire with a just a simple check mark honestly pretty simple um you know it's not something that you have to check off you know it's not like oh have you ever been scared well i don't know anybody who's never been scared um you know so fear and anger we've all experienced worry and anxiety we've all experienced right i'm sure most of us experienced a feeling of guilt at some time or another but if these things are things that kind of weigh on you and they they follow you pretty much everywhere you go day in and day out you know you're you're putting checks on things like that and i always encourage people be very honest because you're not fooling anybody but yourself you know, you're not going to hurt me by not indicating that you're depressed. It doesn't hurt me at all. It may hurt my ability to help you, which in the end essentially only hurts you, not me. Um, so I always encourage people to be very, very, very honest with themselves. Anger, fear, worry, anxiety, depression, and guilt. Um, another one is whether or not they feel overworked. You know, if you're working 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and a lot of times I don't even necessarily look at whether or not they check overworked. I just look at what they indicate elsewhere on in the paperwork for how many hours a week they've worked they're working, and then look at their sleep patterns. Right, sleep deprivation is another thing on the potential stressor sources. Right, so if you're working 70 hours a week and you're sleeping five hours a night, you're overworked. If you're working 40 hours a week and you're sleeping five hours a night, you're overworked. Right, relative to your ability to recover. Right, so physical and mental strain is another. I'm kind of just going to go through the things that I look for and I look at or ask people to be honest about when kind of determining what their overall physiological load is, how many stressors they're exposed to on a regular basis, and what their physical, chemical, mental, and emotional state may be at any given time whenever they're coming to see me. <laughs> you know, physical and mental strain you know whatever that that's it, it a lot of it is sub. you know people who listen into to to this might say oh these are kind of subjective you know i mean you can't really know anything by just asking people questions yes you can as a matter of fact you can learn a lot more about people uh, by asking them the right questions than you can oftentimes by you know looking at blood work and all the other stuff I mean all the other stuff is is great and it's necessary as well Uh, but to really take a holistic approach to things you look at you know the rock solid stuff and then you also look at things that you know maybe you can't necessarily objectively measure I can't I can't measure how worried I am but I do know if worry is something that I carry around with me more often than not and i have no problem being very honest this this is my podcast this is you know whatever i'm gonna offer to anybody who's listening worry is something that i do check on my own questionnaire uh, because it's something that does follow me Uh, almost i'm not gonna say every day but it's pretty damn close to it Uh, i'm getting i'm you know over the course of time i've gotten a, a, a bit better of a handle on it but Uh, wasn't really an issue until my youngest son was born Uh, sleep deprivation big one almost everybody can check that (laughs) Uh, excessive exercise right so sometimes people just beat the living hell out of themselves because they don't know what else to do right so if, if somebody's in the gym 12 hours a week you know and they're also sleeping less than six hours a night we got problems right sleep deprivation light cycle disruption is another potential stressor right that's a big deal for us nowadays in our crazy hectic modern world where we get home and and people are doing things on uh, all the all of our you know fancy handheld uh devices ipads and smartphones and tvs and we're getting bombarded with uh with blue light and all sorts of things at the wrong time (laughs) so light cycle disruption is usually something that whether or not somebody checks it or not is pretty much a given unless they're, you know, doing a good job of going on a uh, on a screen diet and they, they don't, you know, they eliminate screens uh, a couple hours prior to bedtime. Uh, you know, working late hours, that's another thing, or, or circadian rhythm disruption. You're staying up past 10, 11 o'clock at night. You know, you're up until midnight one two a.m whatever the case may be that's a problem that's a stressor and a big one um, surgery if you've had surgeries in the past people have to check that uh, i've had one uh, two actually uh, sinus surgery uh march of 1988 right so if you've had uh, trauma or head injury in your past Right. the trauma can be any kind of trauma it can be physical trauma definitely head injury is a trauma i've had four concussions personally uh yes that's a lot it's, i've had a lot of cranial work done to address most of that but not all of that um you know traumas can be emotional traumas you know abuse in the past uh you know any any number of things you know there's certain things that will that just stick with you right I don't know anybody uh, that doesn't have emotional wounds of some kind uh, right I I can't remember who it was that said it but they said there's only two types of people in the world uh, those that have emotional wounds and those who who are in denial about having emotional wounds right we've all got those to, to some degree or other And whether or not we've actually processed through them to come out the other end is what determines whether or not that's still something that is creating an issue for us or not. Uh, Let's see, whiplash or head injury, I think I mentioned that already, Uh, you know, inflammatory conditions, if you've got any of those, you know, arthritic conditions or just, you know, painful joints and sore muscles and stuff like that all the time any physical pain that somebody might be in at the time matters that's a stressor Uh, if they're exposed to temperature extremes you know that can be a stressor as well i live in southern louisiana we have a lot of uh, oil field workers oil and gas workers in in this part of the country and, and where i live and some of these guys are out working on a rig you know outside in you know 100 to 110 plus degree heat Uh, and then during the winter months you know it can get also pretty damn cold right temperature extremes is another form of stressor particularly if you're exposed to them chronically Uh, i can remember uh, working as a roofer Uh, During the summer in in southern Louisiana, putting black felt and shingles on roofs or roofs, however you say that grammatically, uh, and it's hot as hell. (laughs) And I can remember if I didn't drink five gallons of water a day, I didn't drink a drop. Uh, And at the end of the day, even if you only worked a few hours, it just feels like you got your ass kicked. Uh, So temperature extremes is a big deal. Toxic exposure. Eh, In my neck of the woods, I don't care who you are, you got to check that one. uh the air quality here is really poor um and the toxic exposure is exceptionally high particularly in in my area we we live in an area known as cancer alley uh, and toxic exposure is one of many contributing factors to that particular statistic in my opinion uh, infections you know chronic infections that you may have some some people know that they're they're dealing with low lying levels of chronic infections uh, that maybe they've been tested for or uh you know they just somebody's like yeah you know i i always have I always have a sinus infection you know like nine months out of the year my sinuses are a problem or I have allergies and all these types of things. Uh, chemicals exposure, heavy metals and taking medications, that's another source of stressor, Um, pretty much everybody has that to some degree, Uh, I checked that one off in my own personal questionnaire, Uh, electromagnetic frequency exposure, that's a check for everyone, can't get away from it, doesn't matter where you go, Shit, half of the new cars nowadays have Wi-Fi built into the damn thing. So you're bombarded with electromagnetic frequencies and electromagnetic radiation all day. Uh, And usually also at night, unless you turn your Wi-Fi off at night. Radiation, you know, that's things like X-ray exposure, stuff like that. I mean, most of us have had an X-ray or two here or there. That's not necessarily that big of a deal, Uh, but again, add it up with everything else means something Uh, you know gi issues maldigestion malabsorption all the typical stuff the bloating the belching uh you know loose stools constipation diarrhea all that kind of stuff that indicates uh, some malabsorption and maldigestion issues those are potential sources of stressors Uh, obviously illness if you're just sick with something that's a stressor can't get away from it dysglycemia or you know blood sugar that's bouncing up and down that's a problem that's a source of stress that's a, a potential uh source of a stressor nutritional deficiencies or stressors allergens food sensitivities uh you know molds and pollens and and things like that all of those things all of that stuff are potential stressor sources right so i believe in in my little Deal there. I've got you know uh, thirty or thirty-five of them. Some of them are kind of lumped together uh, in categories, but uh, there's like thirty or uh, thirty or so the way I score it. And and by the way, this is just something that I do personally, right? I don't necessarily have. I mean, yes, there's some science behind what I'm doing here, uh, but as an example, if someone takes that questionnaire and they check three things or less, I would consider their overall allostatic and physiological load to be fairly low, right? They're, somebody like that's usually only going to be seeing me just because they're trying to like improve their performance or you know trying to turn themselves into Superman or Superwoman. I've only seen a couple of people like that in, in the last couple of decades, though. <laughs> if someone's checking four to six of those... Thirty things, you know. That's meh. You got some things that are contributing to, you know, uh, a possible chronic stress response. Uh, yes, it's a concern. You need to get things, you know, ironed out, so to speak, right? So basically, the way this works is that the the higher your stressor exposure is, the greater the need you have for adequate and appropriate recovery factors okay and your your recovery factors really fall into uh a, a few different categories i'll get into that in a minute but most people that i see usually are checking 22 to 30 things off in that list of things that i just ran off to you guys All right so there are extremely high physiological loads extremely high stressor exposures now are there are there other, are there other stressors yes there are i could list 6000 stressors and have people go through it uh, and you know people would be filling out paperwork until their fingers fell off Right. But these are just the major things that that I've seen and kind of noted over the last couple of decades of consulting with people and working with people and helping people overcome chronic health challenges that are kind of gleaming, have been gleaming to me that kind of slapped me in the face. It's like, all right, these these are the top things that people tend to deal with. I need to know. What my client is is dealing with in in these areas and the greater the stressor exposure exposure the greater the recovery factors that they need right and those recovery factors basically fall into uh, Paul Check, who's the founder of the Czech Institute uh, Paul is probably one of my life's greatest mentors I mentioned that in uh, my introduction episode one podcast but Paul has what he calls the four doctors approach to basically optimal health and the four doctors encompass all of your recovery factors right so you've got uh, Dr. Diet, Dr. Quiet, Dr. Happiness and Dr. Movement so the, the greater the number of stressors that someone is checking off on my list and I have other questionnaires that I combine with this one that I don't have time to get into because I don't want everybody falling asleep during the podcast, which probably happens already, but whatever. Uh, I promised myself I would just keep running my mouth even if nobody was listening. So the greater the number of stressors, the greater the recovery factors have to be. And all things in those areas have to be on point. Your nutrition, which is Dr. Diet, has to be on point you must learn the greater your stressor exposure you must learn to tightly regulate your blood sugar you must learn what you need to be eating when you need to be eating it how you need to be eating it you must be adequately hydrated all that kind of stuff right doctor quiet encompasses uh you know actually having some quiet time your sleep and optimizing sleep for recovery your, your sleep is probably your your greatest recovery factor but your sleep is also tied to as i mentioned in a previous podcast i think i did one an episode just on sleep <laughs> but your sleep is tied to your food to your blood sugar handling and your blood sugar regulation and how you live during the day it's also tied to your emotional state it's tied to everything about you uh, physically mentally and emotionally as a human being right, so your sleep has to be on point, uh, Dr. Happiness involves, uh, you actually doing things that make you happy, uh, that's a big deal, uh, I know there've been times in my own personal life where I've completely lost sight of that, uh, and that tends to happen, particularly in the first couple of years of, you know, having a newborn, um, you know, we get kind of get lost in our role as, as, as a parent and, you know, this new soul has just come on to planet Earth and needs round-the-clock care and love and all of these things. And it's very easy to get lost in the role of father or mother and completely forget about your own needs for quite a while. And if you don't slap yourself in the face and kind of get out of that after a certain amount of time, it can really cause problems trust me i know Uh, and if you're a parent you probably know this as well um so dr happiness is, is is literally that are you doing enough of the things that actually make you happy whatever that may be and it's not stuff that should be tied necessarily to to other people uh it's it's things specifically that i believe it was caroline jones who coined the uh i think she called it the 15 percent rule which i may or may not have mentioned before but it's it's a rule that says 15 percent of the time that you're awake you should be doing something that solely makes you happy whatever that may be that could be reading a book that could be sitting under a tree it could be just sitting outside and feeling the wind on your face you know it could be going for a drive going for a walk it, whatever it doesn't matter what it is whatever it is that makes you happy 15 percent of the time that you're awake should be spent doing that which i think on a 16 hour day equates to like two and a half hours Uh, most people you know shake their head and they're like yeah you're dreaming dude if you think i'm going to be able to mobilize two and a half hours for me to just do whatever the hell i want to do to make myself happy so uh, to you know you have to you know start where you are give yourself you know 10 minutes 20 minutes 30 minutes whatever you got You know, just giving yourself something that makes you happy—it—it—it's—it could be anything, right? And then another recovery factor is doctor movement, which is making sure you're getting enough movement, making sure you're getting enough of the right type of movement for your body and what you can handle and adequately recover from right now—not necessarily what you want to be able to do a year from now. Okay. A lot of times people overexercise themselves into a, a massive stress ball because they're, you know, whatever. They're, they're trying to get results yesterday and they think if they beat themselves into the ground harder and longer, the results will come faster. And that doesn't really happen uh, in real life. That kind of stuff only happens on television shows where, you know, people work out for 10 hours a day and in a month they've lost 114 pounds Uh, and then a year later they've gained 130 of it back Uh, so those are the the big and the major recovery factors right dr diet dr quiet dr happiness dr movement that's not my system that's paul's system i happen to agree with it and i use it a good bit Um, so the more stressor exposure you have the greater the need for those recovery factors to be on point And if that doesn't happen and you have an increased stress exposure and decrease in your recovery factors the end result of that is basically an elevated cortisol to dhea ratio or an elevated cortisol to dhea sulfite or sulfate ratio and that is a very critical ratio in the human body which happens to have many uh, physiological impacts okay that, that particular ratio impacts pretty much everything you can think of, right? It impacts your carbohydrate metabolism and how well you can actually regulate glucose homeostasis or regulate your blood sugar and also your cellular energetics and how well your uh, cells can utilize glucose to produce energy. All right, the cortisol to DHEA ratio also impacts your musculoskeletal health because it it it, it, it has a degree of influence over muscle integrity, over your bone turnover, uh, for for lots of different reasons. Uh, cortisol can uh, synergize with estrogen, which activates uh, osteoclastic activity, which can break down bone, um, and you can end up with an imbalance there and bone loss over time Uh, and you're also dealing with in terms of musculoskeletal health your connective tissue turnover just how well you can uh, turn over connective tissues and repair them and recover from things Uh, the cortisol to DHA ratio impacts your the, the health of your neural tissue right so it affects memory and learning it affects the quality of your mood and your sleep right elevated levels of cortisol make it very difficult to enter the restorative phases of sleep or rapid eye movement. Uh, it also impacts uh, your, your neuronal connectivity, or in other words, the ability of your nervous system to communicate with itself, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, that ratio also impacts your endocrine function substantially, as I mentioned. If your cortisol levels are through the roof and high all the time, it significantly impacts your thyroid function. And anything that impacts your thyroid function impacts pretty much every hormonal level in the body because a lot of your endocrine physiology is driven through the thyroid. Um, As an example, a lot of women have, or or at least they're told, they have lots of hormonal problems. They're premenopausal or perimenopausal or postmenopausal or estrogen dominant or they don't make enough progesterone or whatever the whatever it is they're told, and a lot of that stuff is actually driven through the thyroid and if you look at the research uh, most of the in in terms of uh, balancing female hormones and physiology thyroid therapy within the medical literature, thyroid therapy has basically been shown and proven to be wildly more effective than all of the other methods used in obstetrics and gynecology combined in order to regulate hormones uh, now i'm not saying if you think you have a hormone problem you need to go around you know try to go find some some thyroid hormone or that that's not what i'm saying uh, but your ability to upregulate thyroid function substantially improves your overall hormonal uh, profile <laughs> Um, and your cortisol can also impact the pancreas and your insulin and all these other kinds of things. Cortisol to DHEA ratio impacts, uh, fat and protein metabolism, which can affect your protein turnover. That can affect, uh, the integrity of the mucosal surfaces of the body, especially the gut. Uh, and it can also obviously impl- influence, uh, weight and fat distribution. Cortisol to DHEA ratio impacts your detoxification capacity. So your ability to uh, chelate heavy metals in your own body, which is called heavy metal endochelation, that's impacted. Uh, the greater that ratio is, the p- more, the poorer the, your ability to clear heavy metals from the body is going to be. And cortisol to DHEA ratio also impacts significantly your cosenoid modulation. So that's basically... Uh, that can be a really long story, but, uh, that, that basically determines your, your pro or anti-inflammatory status of, of the body. You know, where is your, where is the body's inflammatory potential? Is it more on the side of being anti-inflammatory or is it closer or, or more on the side of being pro-inflammatory, all right? So all of these things are massively, massively impacted by your cortisol to DHEA ratio and if it's elevated you can expect an increase in things like uh, gluconeogenesis right needing to break down uh, musculoskeletal tissue in order to produce uh, glucose you can expect potentially an increase in, in blood sugar at least uh, especially if it's chronic you could expect a decrease in glucose utilization Right? So even as blood sugar goes up, your ability to utilize it goes into the toilet, which creates a further rise in blood glucose, which eventually is going to lead to insulin resistance or uh, uh, at the very least you'll have, you can end up with some cortisol resistance, insulin, decrease in insulin sensitivity, and like I mentioned earlier, very poor thyroid conversion. You're likely to have an increase in bone loss. You're likely to have an increase in protein catabolism. You're likely to have an increase in fat accumulation. All that stuff happens. From an immune system standpoint, you're going to have a decrease in secretory IgA levels. So, SIG A is sort of the body's first line of defense. You know, SIG A is in the nasal cavity and in, in the lining of the gut mucosa. Uh, you can have an increase in antigen penetration. So it makes the antigen is just something that triggers the immune system. Those can get through. uh, They'll get through the gut easier. Uh, It's easier for the gut to leak with elevated levels of cortisol. So things that shouldn't make it through make it through and trigger the immune system. And over the course of time, you can end up with hyperimmune activity, which if that continues for long enough, then the immune system just kind of shuts down and quits. And then you might get a complement reaction. And then if it continues to go on and on and on, you could actually end up with an autoimmune disorder. Uh, you can have increase in secretory IgG. You'll have a decrease in natural killer cell or NK cell activity. That's that's kind of important. Uh, and all these different immune system markers and things that are designed to help us fight off things that have been around for billions of years. Uh, decrease and our ability to adapt and our resiliency is also significantly decreased. Right? So... All of this stuff has to be taken into account to at least some degree whenever you're looking at someone and you're trying to help someone overcome a chronic health challenge of any kind. Now, it's obviously easier to start with the things that are very tangible, like, hey, how much water do you drink? Hey, what do you eat? I've mentioned this before, or maybe I haven't, I can't remember. I can't tell you how many people have come to me that have already seen at least a half a dozen doctors or alternative healthcare practitioners or whatever for the exact same problem and they have all sorts of fancy supplement protocols all sorts of you know herbs and cleanses and all this stuff that they're taking and you know when I ask them what they eat or if anybody has ever asked them anything about their diet I'm usually told no Unless they've already had a food sensitivity profile done where they've been tested for food sensitivities or food intolerances and usually in which case they get a big 64 page document that tells them hey here's the uh, 83 foods that you shouldn't eat and instead eat these other foods. Right? But there's still nobody teaching them how they need to be combining their foods, what their meal frequency needs to be like, why they might be having 83 food intolerances in the first place, uh, and that the food intolerances may not actually be the cause of all of their problems, but the food intolerances could actually be the result of the problems. Um, I may do a, a future uh, podcast on false food intolerance. Uh, I've written a couple of articles about that over the course of the years. Uh, so, all, you know, all of these things matter, and 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 they should be looked at, right? Because basically, with the with the stress response, there's uh, particularly if it if it continues for extended periods of time, which is very very common. Uh, you have two systems that, that kind of run, two major systems that kind of run the stress response. You have you have the catecholamine system, and then you have cortisol. Uh, so your catecholamines kind of prepare the body to, to mount the stress response. And then you have cortisol, which mobilizes energy and other substance to kind of fuel the action that's designed uh, for the stress response. So your, your, your catecholamines will do things like increase your heart rate, it increases the return of blood to the heart, increases cardiac output, and it'll typically inc- they'll typically increase your blood pressure. It can dilate blood vessels of skeletal muscles, right? Because you think about it, if you got a fight-or-flight kind of response, you need a lot of blood going to the muscles because you've got to get the hell out of Dodge, you know, see bear, run from bear. Uh, it'll increase your blood sugars. It promotes glucose formation. Uh, it uh, it can decrease insulin uh, release from the pancreas. You can have an increase in free fatty acids and cholesterol in the bloodstream because, as you break down musculoskeletal tissue, whatever fats you typically have in your diet will, can also be stored there to some degree, and those free fatty acids are also released into the bloodstream. So the overall effect is to conserve energy for the central nervous system and the skeletal system, you know, for, for proper body function and in relation to whatever the stressful situation is right now the the other side of the of the of the major systems outside of the catecholamines as i mentioned is cortisol where you have things like an increase in protein breakdown an increase in uh usually an increase in glucose utilization by the central nervous system somewhat of an insulin resistance you know possibly in the peripheral system Uh, cortisol is going to suppress uh, and uh, your gastric emptying and kind of slow digestion And it's also going to inhibit sex hormone effects and production and right and alters reproduction. Because think about if you're super stressed out, as an example, you know, a deer that just heard a gunshot in the woods is going to be running away. It's not thinking about stopping to eat things and, and digest and eliminate. And it's also not stopping and thinking about trying to have sex with something. It's trying to get away from, you know, whatever just created the gunshot. Uh, which incidentally, in in my opinion, is one of the reasons why uh, GI issues and fertility issues are like the biggest growing branches of medicine on planet Earth. Uh, because lots of people have GI issues and lots of people have fertility issues secondary to a stress response that's basically run amok and has never been checked. Uh, Obviously, I mentioned the cortisol suppresses the immune system, alters thyroid function, alters its conversion and and effectiveness and utilization, and chronically elevated cortisol uh, will deplete the body of zinc, magnesium, glutamine, carnitine, and a number of other things. (laughs) So when the stress response goes too far, And again, it's not just limited to your food and it's not just limited to your physical pain. It can also be inclusive. It is is also inclusive of your mental and limbic emotional state and tied to your emotions to a significant degree and can also be tied to the things that drive those emotional responses, uh, be that some of your prior programming or uh, traumas that have been experienced and so on but basically the result is chronic illness and conditions uh, that most people are running around seeking treatment for today so some of the chronic illnesses and conditions that are influenced by, by a chronic stress response is things like diabetes mellitus or type 2 diabetes cardiovascular issues like high blood pressure and uh, crazy things going on with your lipid panels or elevated elevated blood fats uh, as I mentioned, GI issues, autoimmune and inflammatory issues, um, infertility. As I mentioned as well, decreased growth, particularly in children, is a big deal. Uh, you can have osteoporosis and issues with the bones. You can have detoxification problems. You can have multiple chemical sensitivities. You can have you can be, become environmentally sensitive. Uh, you can ha- end up with, you know, essentially brain damage and psychiatric illnesses, Alzheimer's, depression, chronic fatigue syndrome type stuff, cancer, so on and so forth, so so on and so forth. Cortisol receptors are found on just about every cell in the body and cortisol can walk in and out of every cell uh, pretty much without necessarily having to attach to a receptor site. I believe it's the only one of the only substances that can do that so uh, I promised myself that I would try to be brief this morning and I see that I'm coming up on an hour Uh, my objective was to kind of paint an overarching picture of what holistic health actually is and it doesn't really have much to do with you know the hugging of trees and chanting and your five animal frolics and Uh, you know wearing clothes that are made out of organic hemp and you know running around with crystals and bones and rattles and such those things are all very cool and there's certainly an application for those things in various points on the journey uh, of of a holistic program but that's not my personal definition of holistic health my personal definition of holistic health is looking at the person as a whole being as a holistic entity and the human body is made up of physical chemical mental emotional and spiritual elements and if you're not at least addressing each one of those to some degree they don't have to all be done at the same time But you have to address those things to some degree at some point in someone's program if you're likely to overcome your chronic if you're somebody who's dealing with a chronic health challenge if you're going to overcome that you're going to have to look at all of these things to some degree or other right Uh, now for some people you know you you can you can break those things down um, and say, all right, the majority of your stressors are emotional and nutritional. Maybe go see somebody about the emotional stuff and we can work on the nutritional stuff. Now, the good news is, is typically the more dialed in your nutrition gets, the better your mind begins to function. <laughs> right, And the healthier your physical body is, the healthier your mind tends to be. I think it was Socrates who used to have his uh, philosophy students practice with the Olympic wrestling team uh, because he said, you have to be in shape to think. Uh, And if it's not Socrates, I apologize if somebody decides to Google that and it comes out to be somebody else. But I think it was Socrates. Might have been Aristotle. Damn it, I can't remember. Anyway, it was one of those really smart guys back in the day. Um, But... You know, the triad of health physical, chemical, mental. If you improve the chemical aspects of the body or the nutritional components, you will have a positive benefit physically and mentally as well. Right? If you improve the physical aspects, if someone has chronic SI joint or low back pain and they're able to get rid of that by whatever means, that typically has a pretty positive influence on their emotional state because I don't know anybody who's walking around happy as a clam whenever their back is hurting all the time. Usually, you know, they're quite pissed off. Uh, so holistic health is looking at the person in front of you or the individual in question as a whole entity, as a physical, chemical, mental, emotional and spiritual human being and finding ways to improve whatever areas are most challenged for them in order to increase their recovery factors to be able to match the exposure to the stressors that they're putting themselves through So that is my little one hour and three minute spill on sort of holistic health and your exposure to stressors driving a chronic stress response and the need to get at the root of whatever those chronic stressor exposures might be. And... If I'm being totally honest, just about everybody has some level of an emotional stressor that drives the stress response to at least some degree. Yes, most people also have nutritional issues uh, and probably you know sleep issues, which can also be emotionally driven. But you know the more tangible things, or you know doctor diet, doctor quiet, doctor movement. Right? When you get into Dr. Happiness, that's whenever you can start dealing with the emotions and all that sort of stuff. I mean, somebody has chronic anxiety, getting, getting to the root of why that is and giving them tools to overcome that stuff, whatever they may be. But that is an overarching picture of holistic health, which is looking at the person as a whole being, not sectioning off parts of it and ignoring other things just because they may not be uh, you know conventional or necessarily all that comfortable to address right so if you're going to overcome a chronic health challenge you you always start where you are start with the things that are tangible start with with what you're comfortable with and the healthier you get you know you can begin to tackle some of these larger scale you know possibly emotional uh, things that can stem from Uh, You know, a lot of the emotional stressors actually stem from things that occur uh, in in our more formative years, uh, 0 to seven, zero to 12 years of age. Uh, So that's when you have to start doing things like investigating your own psyche and looking at your belief systems and your ideas and seeing where they come from and whether or not they actually serve you. And, uh, you know, if your system is actually at odds with what you actually feel think sense and believe about the world and you continue to operate within that system then that particular system is creating a massive uh emotional mental and and essentially a spiritual stress for you uh so hopefully you know you guys take a little something out of this uh that that can be used um if you got questions or want me to be more specific about something feel free Uh, again it was super super early in the morning so i may have been a little bit all over the place with my thoughts um i usually do this at least three hours after being awake Uh, but whatever Uh, this is about the only time i had over the next couple of weeks so i wanted to be able to get something down something out there for you guys to be able to listen to something that might uh you know pique the interest and kind of get the wheels turning a little bit and areas to to think about and uh, maybe potentially look into in, in your own individual cases or, or whatever. but as always, feel free to give me a, uh, a, a share, uh, send me a comment. you know you can email, do that stuff on social media, all the all the usual stuff. i uh, more than happy to hear from everyone. I appreciate the feedback on on all the other stuff that I've done. Um, and this one I kind of just woke up and, and thought, Uh, you know what i'll just run my mouth about uh, holistic health and a chronic stress response and all that kind of stuff and just see where it takes me so uh, hopefully it was beneficial Um, appreciate you guys i'll hopefully be able to put something out again uh, sometime in the near future Uh, thank you for listening and i'll talk to y'all later
0: concludes this episode. Thank you for listening to Brandon Speaks. Feel free to reach out to Brandon via his website, www.innatemovewell.com. You can also send any thoughts you may have or suggest future podcast topics to innatemovewell at gmail.com. Brandon would love to hear from you. Follow him on his social media sites, which can be accessed through his website, And don't forget to hit the subscribe button, leave a review, and share this podcast with anyone interested in taking their performance, health, and wellness to the next level. Hope to see you on the next episode. Until then, support the process of healing, and thanks again for listening to Brandon Speaks.